2: Hi, right, this is Jermaine O'Neal, and you're listening
0: to Setting a Pace on PaceToTalk.net. of is... What is up a bonus. Mentor. Oh, oh,
3: Miles! Turner, bringing that smoke!
0: And now McDermott again, right to the rim with authority! Brogdon gets around... Oh, and yeah! It and it's down! Yeah. skies high for the jam! Warren lets it fly, Yes! T.J.
1: Warren is not human! Pacer Nation, what is going on? It is your boy Mike Foschi here wishing you a happy Friday. I hope that you are doing a lot better than the Pacers did against the Milwaukee Bucks because uh, it just really wasn't what you wanted to see the other night. The Pacers got the exact taste of the medicine that they gave the Memphis Grizzlies and the fact that the Pacers never led against Milwaukee uh, and they trailed by as much as 40. I don't want to dwell on this too much because you got to kind of be able to shake this off. We're not going to have this be just a super negative podcast. Look, Pacers didn't really have anything going right other than Demonta Sabonis ended up having a career high. It was kind of strange that he was really able to, you know, go 14 of 25, uh, go get 33, 12, and six in the game. And no one else really did much. I mean, Yes, there was guys that scored in double figures, but it's a game that you want to forget. Uh, this was a game that Giannis had a triple-double by you know the end of the third quarter, and then all you see is him taking pictures on the sideline. ESPN played it everywhere. Okay, whatever. We're moving on. We're on to New Orleans, and to discuss the game against the Pelicans, I will be bringing on Christian Clark, Clark of Vanola.com. He covers the Pelicans. He's got some great insight on what We need to know to beat the Pelicans once again because we had that amazing comeback last time, winning 118-116. to You might remember that game because that was the Malcolm Brogdon game winner in overtime after the Pacers were down by as many as 10 points with two minutes to go, as many as six points with under 30 seconds to go. They never gave up. It was one of the best comebacks that I've seen in a long time. Uh, This time around, things are going to be a little different. There's no Victor Oladipo this time. We will discuss that, but also got a little two-for-one special for you. We're bringing on Josh Eberle of Dunks and Discourse. Josh is a great follow on Twitter. I think you're going to love his insight on all things NBA, talking Indiana Pacers, talking the All-Star game coming up. Should we do it? Should we not? What kind of representation are we going to see from the Pacers in that game? Uh, You can catch all of that coming right up we'll be right back all right everybody we are back and we are joined by josh eberly of dunks and discourse josh what's going on today
3: not much man uh you know we're doing this for the second time because my audio wasn't great earlier but it's also given me a time to actually look at the uh, all-star voting return so i'm excited hey. to possibly talk there
1: Second time you hear that, listeners, we give you nothing but the best over here. So, <laughs> didn't want to put out any poor audio earlier. So, we are back. But, Josh, I think that's a perfect place to start. The fan voting, the first round kind of came out. Was there anyone that kind of surprised you a bit? We didn't have like the Taco Falls, you know, borderline starting an all star game so far. So, I thought that was a good sign.
3: Well, I mean, Clay Thompson getting in there with 99,000 votes is certainly um uh, something. I I guess his impact has certainly uh certainly been missed, so mm-hmm. um I can understand that. Uh I I suppose. But uh yeah, no not, nothing nothing too crazy. I think Kevin Durant, LeBron, you know, having the majority of the votes um being first and second respectively is is pretty predictable. Curry at third. Uh, nothing super egregious this year, which is kind of nice. Do I dare I call it growth?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like this year around, things are a little bit different because, you know, you got to remember last year, there was no Kevin Durant. Uh, Steph Curry played only a handful of games. You know, there was no Clay Thompson. Like, there was a lot of injuries across the board. So it is nice to see Kevin Durant getting the respect he deserves. Um, but also looking at it, I thought we kind of jumped off the page. Bradley Beal after a year after being snubbed, leading all guards in all-star voting, followed by Kyrie Irving. You know, it's like, despite the, you know, the absence, still getting a ton of votes, the fans love him.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, kyrie, Kyrie's kyrie got a base, man. Kyrie has a very loud, proud base. And, uh, you know what, a 10-game hiatus, whatever it was, I mean, he's balling. He's, he's absolutely balling this year. And he's going to keep balling because when you can never, literally never double him, because Kevin Durant is running down the wing and Harden's above him and Joe Harris is waiting in the corner and you can literally never double and you can never trap Kyrie's numbers will continue to be great this year um so I'm not not shocked I don't I don't know if he should be starting in the east seems a a little a little iffy given given the time off and how well Jalen Brown has played but uh not super surprised Beal to me is I mean, he's been he's been on TV a lot of nights. His box scores have been jumping off the page. Every team in the league is trying to trade for him. Their fans are excited, trying to get their hands on him. So not super shocked to see him there either.
1: No, no, I- I'm not. And I-, I think this year around, everybody made it a priority to make him an all-star after being snubbed. So uh, I-, I do think that's great because he was deserving last year. Um, but this year around, you know, for sure, he's got to be in the all-star game. I personally... I've soured on Kyrie Irving. I think you made a great point on Jalen Brown. I do think he's deserving over Kyrie Irving. Some people could be like, what are you talking about? But, I mean, guys, come on. Kyrie Irving left his team high and dry for a while, while Jalen Brown was, you know, he's putting up a career year. But we got to talk about, you know, Pacer Nation has been very adamant that they don't want just one All-Star, Josh. They want two, if not three. I think three is nuts because – Look, Miles Turner's improved defensively. Hey, say, th- who 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 hey, is like, yeah. I, I know, I know. Exactly. Look, they, sometimes <laughs> our fan base, we can get pretty wild. But I think DeMontis Sabonis is every bit an all-star this year. I hope that he can continue that going. Seeing him in the seventh spot from the front court, ugh, did you think that that's the right spot? Because I understand we're not on national, national television a lot. But behind Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, you know, more popular guys, is Sabonis in the seventh spot correct? Or do you think maybe he could move up a spot or two?
3: Man, like, this is this is going to be tough because, like, I think as of right now, Sabonis, should be, he should be an all-star. Yep. And I – like, Jimmy's played not even half the Heat's games, I don't think. Like, mm-hmm. I think Jimmy Butler's played, like, 10 of the Heat's 20 games. So for him being that high is – I mean, it's, it's again, it's fan voting.
1: Yeah,
3: but it, it's somewhat suspect at this point. But man, I don't, I don't even know if Sabonis is a lock because, man, like Julius Randle, Bam Adebayo are both going to be fighting with him for those spots. Like Giannis, KD, and and Tatum are locks. So that leaves you know one maybe two spots on the team there. I I don't know, man. And like Jeremy Grant certainly cooled down. Yeah, but Gordon Hayward's having a year too like I I think at this moment Sabonis is in but he's gonna have to very much keep it up and I mean we did we did touch on this earlier with the bad audio but like Brogdon's having a great year and I think people have taken taken notice and I've seen plenty of Malcolm Brogdon or Drew Holiday posts on my timeline um which is fun it's it's fun to poke the bucks and I think it's a fair question but Mm -hmm. unless the Pacers were heavily the one seed in the east they're gonna have a really hard time getting two all-stars
1: I completely agree, and I made the same point that, look, if you want two All-Stars, you have to be in that one or two seed, no doubt about it, if you're a small market team. I mean, there's going to be some other teams that they're going to shine upon. Like, look, Brooklyn, they're every bit deserving. They're going to have three All-Stars because you got guys like James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, and, you know, the other teams, the big teams like the Lakers and the Clippers, they'll they'll have multiple All-Stars as well. Um, But when you're the Pacers, you have to do it by – winning, like basically in the past when the Pacers had, you know, the best record in the league, you know, I think like 2013, uh, 2014, right around there, you had Roy Hibbert and Paul George. And, and that was, that was fitting. You had the top record this year. They're sitting around the five seed. It, it's going to be tough. I think Brogdon unfortunately is going to be one of those snubs that was every bit deserving, but the guards in the East right now, I mean, it's pretty stacked. There's a lot of good guards. And when you're talking about first time all-stars, Guys like Jalen Brown. Zach Levine's having a really good year. I know the Bulls' record isn't as good as the Pacers, but he's having a really good year. So he could even still be a snub. I mean, he's not a lock. You know, and then you still got Trey Young. I mean, Trey Young was voted in as like a starter last year, I believe, or, or he was at least an all-star. Uh, the fan vote, I believe, shined very uh, very positively on him. Um, but then there's also like Colin Sexton's having a, a really good year. And the Cavs are like a 500 team. So yep. – Someone's going to be on the outside looking in. And unfortunately, I think it could be Brogdon. But in my opinion, having watched the Pacers all season, he's every bit deserving. It's just, I just don't think it's going to happen. But I know it won't happen through the fan vote.
3: Yeah. And I mean, again, it's so early in this process, too, We're like, you know, one really bad slump closer to, to when the coaches vote could really hurt you too or or one alternatively you know one great five six game stretch prior to the coach's vote could really help you but i i, I gotta say like you're going to bat for broad a little bit i gotta go to bat for my guy zach levin because okay i i don't understand i don't understand when people will watch bradley beal and they're like man bradley beal's amazing we're willing to trade eight picks like credible legitimate people are on the timeline telling me like oh bradley beal's worth worth the whole farm and, like, Zach Levine has better splits from the field, oh yeah. the three-point line, from they're about tied at the free-throw line. He's, he's giving more assists. He's rebounding the ball at the higher rate. And, he, and he's playing less minutes, and he's taking less shots. And he's still averaging 27 a game. I'm like, Zach Levine is 95% of what Bradley Beal is. Like, Bradley Beal just gets all the shine. I, I, don't, I don't know what Zach has to do in Chicago. Like, I, the, other, the other day I was listening to Zach Lowe. I think he was talking to Chris Herring. They were talking about how the Bulls should make a move to get a star in Bradley Beal. I'm like, he's marginally better than Zach Levine. <laughs> like, whoa, what are you doing? You're you're replacing A for B. It's the same thing.
1: Much cheaper too, you know. Much
3: cheaper, yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, that Beal contract is uh, it's going to be pushing forty million soon. It's right around $36, $37 million. Um, but Zach Levine, like I just mentioned before, this the chip on this guy's shoulder from being snubbed last year. And I, and I felt like last year he had, he had the case to make an All Star game, but I wasn't stunned when he didn't. This year, he is deserving. The man shooting over 50% from the field, averaging nearly 27 points per game. I mean, that's that's really good. I understand the Bulls' record isn't good enough, and I think that's the only thing holding him back. So I I think that he'll be in it this year, which makes it that much tougher for Brogdon. But basically, the All-Star game in general, fans are split on this. Now, some fans are like, what are we even doing here? Why go through with this? And then there's the other side that's, hey, it's one more game. It's just one game. But at the same point, you are grabbing literally the best players in the league, putting them together where they could be at risk. But what's your stance on this? What do you think the NBA should do?
3: Man, there, there was so much showmanship and faux outrage about the bubble when the bubble went up, like, oh, NBA, they're sending NBA players to die. How can they do this? Mm-hmm. They don't want to go. It was literally the safest place to be in the world Oh, from, yes. Co- from COVID. Now we're doing this thing where, like, guys are watching blowouts, and they're like, man, I really hope Tyrese Maxey gets more minutes in this game against the Pistons. That doesn't mean anything. But, you know, an all-star game isn't okay. Like, you're asking them to play 72 games where they're they're rubbing and touching and breathing and sweating all over each other. And you're asking them to do that on a condensed schedule where they're playing back-to-backs, where they're traveling to, to new markets overnight and playing another game. But an all-star game is somehow out of the question because, like, there'll be more people there. There'll also be a break before. There'll be a break after. Like, it's just – like, yes, it, it it represents a slightly greater risk, but it's the, the outrage on the timeline is just so t- tiresome. Like, give – a break the nba players union voted it in they're on board they want to make some extra money the nba wants to make some money that's all any of this is about all-star game is pointless hell basketball is pointless we all love basketball I- i'm here because i love basketball we're- you're hosting this podcast because you love basketball but it's all pointless so what's the difference with the all-star game i completely agree look
1: yes we obviously know money's involved but we're talking about one more game just when you mentioned before i guarantee all these players will go through numerous tests over days oh, yeah. to make sure that no one is coming in there with covid it's one more game from an entertainment standpoint I think it's gonna be great we get to see the league's best face off against each other uh, you know it's one more game, game. come on uh, we I think we always just as a society need something to, to argue about and this just seems to be the latest thing I think it'll blow over i think when this is a success because I think it will be you'll see other teams other leagues, do this because it's like the NBA, they've, they've kind of set the trend a lot of times, like the bubble and everything like that, where I think if this is pulled off to a success, I think you could see maybe baseball go through with their all-star game later on, but, but everyone's waiting for the NBA to make the first move. And I, th- I think they're going to pull it off. I trust Adam Silver.
3: Yeah. I think, I don't know if I trust Adam silver. And there's been some mixed messaging at times, but like, I just think like if, if you are legitimate, if you're claiming, that you're legitimately worried about the players and, and you're, you know, virtue signaling, you're a humanitarian, you want to prove, you know, just how caring you are, then don't watch basketball. Then just, then, then don't, then don't watch Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic post up later in the year, sweating on each other. Cause I, I mean, there's a risk. There's a risk every single time these guys are going to court. That's the reality of a pandemic. I don't understand why the all-star game has everyone in a tizzy. I think we're on the same page.
1: Well, I think we are too. Uh, now, a little bit of the dust has settled from the blockbuster trade that sent Harden to Brooklyn, sent Victor Oladipo to Houston, and sent Karis LeVert to the Pacers. Now, we haven't seen LeVert play yet, but thank God the Pacers were able to detect the kidney mass. He had successful surgery. We'll wait and see when he you know can, can get back on the court. Do you think this was the right move for the Pacers when short-term – there is no more Victor Oladipo there. They're kind of treading water now, 12 and 10, but you know, for the future, you couldn't let Vic walk and you're getting a really good player in Levert. Would you still make this trade having known the medical history now?
3: Uh, having known the medical history, I think it's a no, right? I, th- I think you, you look somewhere else and you, I mean, it's worrisome. And I, and I wish Karis Levert nothing but the best. And I hope that he's back with this team and he's unbothered uh, by it, but like, Karis Levert for Victor Oladipo was already a little bit of a stretch. Like I, I, I like Karis Levert. I don't think he's a significantly worse player, but I've seen Victor Oladipo be a top ten player at his position on either end of the court. Um, you know, the Pacers are in a position this year where they thought they were, you know, playing above their station and winning a lot of games. And I might, I might have taken one more run with Oladipo, but I, to- I totally understand. Um, no, since we didn't know the the medical information. You know, looking, pivoting for the future and getting a guy that would be part of this core in the bird. I don't hate it knowing what they knew.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Pacers did have an opportunity to back out. They ended up um, acquiring an additional second round pick and cash once uh, the medical um, you know news came out about the kidney mask. Uh, but, you know, it's believed that the Pacers offered Victor Lodipo a contract starting at $25 million per year, and he turned it down. At that point, when you tried to re sign the guy, And he does have an injury history with that ruptured quad tendon. I think the Pacers could take the risk. Personally, I I was already a fan of LeVert. So I do like the fact that he signed for two more years. He's younger. And, you know, obviously the kidney mass, I mean, that is a big deal. But the fact that he doesn't need any further treatment, I feel good about it. Vic, right now in Houston, they're winning. But if you looked at it, he's shooting sub 40%. And I have a lot of worries that I don't know if he's going to return Back to that 2017, 2018 Vic. So uh, there was a risk on both sides. Uh, I think sure. the Pacers went for who's going to be here in the future, and they probably didn't feel that Vic would.
3: It might. It might be end up being a win-win situation, honestly. Um, you know, it, especially if Houston convinces Oladipo that you know there's a future there, and he gets back to a little. I don't think you ever be the 27. 27 I don't think you know, so either. Oladipo unfortunately, but like if he gets close to that, I think they still got a very good player. It's – I mean, Indiana's been this team for, like, their entirety where they're always good and not great. Yes. And I I think, like, that move is a typical Indiana move where they traded for a guy that keeps them good longer rather than a chance at being great. And I don't – like, I don't hate it. I don't – I mean, this is maybe boring podcast commentary, but it's one of those things I don't really have a hot take on. Like, it's a safe, solid move. It doesn't elevate your chance at winning a title. And so I I guess it depends – you know, depending on what kind of fan you are, how you feel on that one.
1: Yeah, and, and here, here's how I feel on You got a guy who's going to be here for two more years at least, under contract for cheaper. So now you can re-sign TJ Warren. You can keep this core together. Uh, and and Levert, I mean, a lot of people forget. Guy dropped 43 points a week before he was sidelined. So there's a lot of talent And he did it in Brooklyn where, you know, there's a lot of mouths to feed. So... I like what Levert's going to bring to the table here, but we're going to have to wait and see. And it, it might not even be this year. It could be in April. It could be next year. Just the Pacers, they made a safe move for the future. And they kind of basically said it's not going to be this year. And and, and look, it probably wasn't going to be this year anyway. But I understand management with this team. They always try and keep them competitive. So not always going all in, really, but just keeping them competitive. It ruffles a lot of feathers with the fan base, but at the same point, we never want to be on the outside of the playoffs looking in. So, Josh, as we're wrapping up over here, can I get a prediction from you in who is in the NBA Finals and who do you think walks away with it?
3: Man, I I was saying Nets preseason, and I feel shakier with Nets now because I just – there's so many things in play with, like – the defense, the personalities, but the ceiling's still so high. It is, and the Bucks haven't looked convincing to me, and, and I'm I'm saying this a night after they smacked your Pacers. I was gonna say saw. they
1: looked real convincing last <laughs> night. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, uh, I'm I'm still gonna go with the Nets, and I'm gonna go with the Lakers, but I, I I think the Clippers are right there, and I'll I you know what I'm gonna go all I'll go all in on the Nets. I'll say that they. A.D. is a little shaky offensively. The defense doesn't matter as much come those final few minutes and uh, K.D., Kyrie, and Harden get a ring in Brooklyn.
1: Okay. I like it. I like it. You know, on paper, it's hard for me to pick against Brooklyn. You feel like when it comes to a series, can you beat those three, Kyrie, you know, Duran, and Harden in a series, you know, four times? I think that's going to be pretty tough. But just to be different, uh, I feel like I'm, I might say that maybe Milwaukee squeaks one out. And uh, they go to the NBA Finals. and I, I think I I, I lean the Lakers for now, the Lakers repeating, because I think that the Lakers probably end up making a deadline move. A LeBron James team always makes a trade, so I don't think they're done yet. But I could definitely see a Brooklyn versus Lakers NBA Finals, kind of just like you mentioned. So um you know it's going to be interesting it's crazy now we're officially about a third of the way into the league so for so long on these podcasts talking small sample size small sample size guys we're already a third of the way there basically so you know it's time to start to realize some of these teams this might be who they are but josh i want to thank you for coming on yeah 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 of
3: course can i throw one at you and and this is just like my my mind is always asking like really relevant questions to everyone but me but like I always want to know with people who are like about one team. What's mm-hmm. the? You asked me the finals. Like, what, I thought you were going to ask me how far does Indiana go? And sure. I want to ask you like, what what would Indiana Pacers fans feel is a, is a success this year? Like, is the if they win a playoff round, does everyone do our Pacers fans like? Yeah, we had a great year. Is it like a conference finals run? Are there going to be fans who aren't happy unless so, they win? Like, what what's the expectation there?
1: So you're talking to uh, a fan base that has actually been swept three of the last four years. Um, before Nate McMillan, they had never been swept before. So, you know, this, this is not sitting well with the fan base. So getting out of the first round is very vital to the Pacers and the whole fan base and everything. It's what we need to do. If, if Warren and Levert were healthy – this fan base is going to be thinking uh, uh, conference finals appearance. They, they are it's It's something where, hey, it's still a long shot, but it's not unrealistic because they're a very deep team. Um, but with, with, you know, Warren, we don't know if TJ Warren's going to come back. I mean, the guy put on an absolute show in the bubble. Then you're talking yeah. about Sabonis didn't get to play in the playoffs last year. You're talking about Victor Oladipo was hurt in the playoffs. It was like, We have not seen this team just come together and be healthy. We've only got these tiny little tastes. We haven't even seen Karis LeVert in a pacer jersey yet. So it's like, why can't we dream of a a potential conference finals appearance or an appearance in the second round? You know, all that. But there's just so many what ifs. And we could, we should, and maybe. We just need to get this team healthy together. Even last year, the ideal starting lineup only played five games together. So we just it's just never happened.
3: That's that's tough though. I'm I'm looking. I'm looking like Boston. Which which of Boston, Brooklyn, Philly, and Milwaukee does Indiana want in the first round? Oh
1: man, I want none of them. I mean, we—it's <laughs> yeah,
3: just—it's tough.
1: I it, it I don't know what we're even gonna do. I mean, last year the Pacers drew. You know, they got the four seed. Uh, home court in the first year where home court didn't matter. Didn't matter. Yeah. So, you know, it got, got swept. There was no Sabonis there. Like, Oh my God, that was rough. At least Miami went on a run and it it didn't feel like we just lost to just anybody, but it's going to be super tough. I mean, those teams that you named, I mean, they're, they're all better this year. And Milwaukee hasn't been better this year, but I think they will get better. Philly was a disaster last year. They're looking good this year. So it's scary. I don't, I, this might not be the year to get out of the first round, but give me a competitive playoff series. I can't take another sweep, Josh.
3: So, so we're, we're, we're just four six hard fought six game series. I want Mi- seven. minimum bar. Yeah. Okay, seven. It. There it is. There it is. Give me All seven
1: right. with, with, with everything on the line. And, and for that, I'll at least know that, hey, look, we're, we're going in the right direction. Unfortunately, it already feels like every Pacer fan is saying, like, just wait till next year. Next year, we're gonna be real good. It's like, guys, we're a third of the way into this year. It's not over yet. Let's just take it one game at a time. We have a rookie head coach, Nate Yorkrin, who has shown some really great things. I think he's gonna be a really good coach, but you need to give him time to develop his style. He's been going with an eight-man rotation for a while now that we're not all really buying into because the starters are playing way too many minutes right now. But I think that Bjorker needs to find his style. He needs to find what works and these players need to, you know, find what works to, you know, playing together. Like I mentioned, once you throw Lavert in there, it's, it's going to be different. You, you throw TJ Warren back in there. I'm excited for that. He played with this core group last year, but it's just, let's get them all together at one point and, and let's take it from there because we don't know what kind of injuries are going to happen. I don't think the Pacers make a move at the deadline trading Depot was probably enough for this year so hey let's let the chips fall where, where they go and let's let's make this a competitive playoff series
3: fair enough man appreciate you appreciate you let me sneak one question in there
1: <laughs> well any anytime I know you were on a tight schedule so I wanted to be respectful of your time uh Josh I got you out of here with a couple minutes to spare but I want you to tell us where we can find you on social media and uh, some of the awesome stuff you have going on Dunks and Discourse.
3: Yeah, man. I'm on, I'm on Twitter at Josh Everly. If you don't know me, uh, you know, hit me up, try not to yell at me. I'm a little bit sensitive, a little bit sensitive to the yellers. Uh, Jabari Davis and myself got a, a podcast at Dunks and Discourse. We do everything basketball, movies, TV. We just like to sit on our couches and have a good old time. So if that's your vibe, hit us up and uh, thanks for having me on. Of course. Anytime, Josh, I appreciate it. You have a great day. You too.
1: All right everybody, we are back and we are joined by Christian Clark of nola.com. Christian, what's going on today?
2: Not too much, man. The the Pelicans played a good basketball game uh last night against the Suns. It hasn't happened very often this season, so I'm uh I'm I'm riding that wave right now. You got to ride that wave, and Christian, I actually watched
1: like the first 3 quarters of that game and uh, I think that you guys really did come out strong because Phoenix, this isn't the Phoenix of old. You know, this isn't our, uh, you know, our mother's Phoenix sons of the past, where they're the bottom feeders of, of, you know, the Western Conference. They're definitely a very competitive team this year. And obviously the thing that caught my eye, Zion Williamson. I mean, Zion just played a great game. I love to see that he's showing the confidence to take threes again because it was starting to kind of – Rub the average fan, I think, a little bit wrong. You know, we're always looking to kind of find a hole in someone's game, unfortunately, in, in, in today's society. The the lack of three-point makes our attempts, I think, like was starting to become the only hole in Zion's game. So that was pretty nice
2: to see, right? Yeah, he's he's made a three in uh, three straight, straight games now for the first time in his career. Um, showing a little confidence in, in that outside shot. And, you know, I think what Stan Van Gundy and the Pelicans were most encouraged by after the game was uh, the defense that he played. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the defense has been uh, pretty alarming, frankly, in stretches. I mean, he, he's looked like through his first 40 games or so, uh, a pretty, I mean, different type of defender than he was at Duke, at least to me. And I thought that uh, his game last night against the Suns was, was probably his best defensive performance of the season. I mean, arguably the best of his career. I mean, the Pelicans just looked connected in in a way that they have um, very little this season. I mean, that was kind of, you know, what Sam McGuddy was brought it to do was, was turn around the defense. And I believe, you know, going into that game last night, there's something like 24th in defensive efficiency. So, I mean, they, they really, really needed a night like that.
1: Yeah. When you talk about, they came together, they connected defensively on paper, this Pelicans team, very fun. They have a lot of names that kind of pop off the page and, Part of that's because, you know, they made two huge trades over the last, you know, two seasons that have really shaken up the whole roster. I actually read that Zion Williamson is actually the longest tenured Pelican because of when he got drafted. There's been so much turnaround since then. But uh, why hasn't it really worked out this year? Because coming into the season, I feel like this was a team that a lot of people had their eyes on as competing for a playoff spot.
2: Yeah, I mean, that. That's a, uh, that's the million dollar question. Um, so I think you can kind of separate it into issues on, on both ends. Um, offensively, I think Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram have, have done their jobs for the most part. Um, you know, I think at times they could have been better playmakers, but like they're putting the, the ball in the basket efficiently. I mean, I think kind of where the problem lies there is the Pelicans don't have a whole lot of shooting. Um, you know they've really fallen off um, in terms of perimeter shooting since last year, when they're seventh in the NBA in three-point attempts and percentage. Um, I think the starting backcourt of Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe—they're—they're they're both not guys who put a lot of pressure on the defense and and make defenses fear them. So I think you know opposing defenses are tilted so heavily and so heavily focused on, on Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. Um, and, you know, they, they have a five, who's not a floor spacer either. So that kind of only exasperates the problem, even though I think Steven Adams has been really good this year. Um, and on the defensive end, uh, I think, you know, the problem is kind of the opposite. The problem there has been Zion Williamson and, and Brandon Ingram in a lot of ways. I mean, those guys just haven't brought it. And Sam and Gundy, He's kind of been banging his head against the wall, trying to figure out ways to get those guys to to pick it up on that end. Um, Since the Pelicans got back from a six-game road trip, Stan has started doing an individual film session with just those two guys after games kind of going over where they could have been better defensively. I think he shows them positives too. It's not like it's, it's all bad or anything like that, but I think there's a concerted effort to try to get those guys um to defend better, and I think, at least for one game against Phoenix, they did.
1: No, they did, and, and you know we'll get into some of these players individually in a moment. But just wanted to to bring up as these teams you know face off Friday night in Indiana, you got a Pelicans team that you know they're better at home than they are on the road. They're three and seven on the road. Like I said, I, I thought they would be better overall, but right now they stand at eight and twelve. Last time when these teams faced off. I mean, we're going to have two different perceptions of that last game because as a Pacer fan, it was an unbelievable comeback. The Pacers ended up winning the game 118 to 116 in overtime on a Malcolm Brogdon game winner over Eric Bledsoe. And what made the game that much more thrilling was the fact that the Pacers were down 10 points with two minutes to go. They were down six points with uh, basically around 20 seconds to go. And, you know, I love some stats. And basically, in the past 10 years, teams that were up six points with under 30 seconds to go, Christian, they were 8,104 and two. So it was a rare (laughs) meltdown. I know. It's it's crazy. As a Pacer fan, it was one of the best comebacks you could remember in the last few years. As a Pelican fan, it had to have been an absolute collapse. This time around, like, what would you have done differently? Because that was a game where the Pelicans really just – own the Pacers on the glass. They, they, they out rebound the Pacers by more than 20. You know, three-point-wise, eh, yeah, like you mentioned, the Pelicans struggled from three, but it felt like that was a game the Pelicans had in the bag before the end. Do you think this time around the Pelicans are going to remember that, or is it just like, hey, it's a month ago, we've moved on, you know, we're just going to start
2: fresh? Well, I think I think they probably will remember that game because that was – an inflection point of sorts for this team I mean things were going really well up to that point you know up to the final five minutes of that game the Pelicans were four and two they're on the verge of going five and two I mean I think (laughs) I mean people people here at least Pelicans fans were thinking playoffs baby and everything has kind of gone to crap since they blew that game I mean I you know it's not something I ask about I don't think honestly I don't think it would be appropriate to ask but like I'm sure Stan McGutty has thought a lot about, well, what if I had just called a timeout when mm-hmm. the Pelicans were struggling to get the ball at the court in the backcourt? I mean, he had one in his pocket. He didn't use, I think, Lonzo Ball and JJ Redick, they they coughed it up and I believe it was Miles Turner who hit that three that, that tied it up. I mean, yep. An
1: unbelievable man. fake on it also. I mean, it was like Oladipo got the steal, gives it to Turner. Turner gives a great fake right at the top of the key hits. It, it's just a huge three-pointer uh to send it over time. I mean, whew, it, it was great on my side of things, but yeah, a timeout there, I think, could have changed everything for you guys.
2: Yeah, so that, I mean, that was, I mean, looking back, that that's looking like a really uh, critical, crucial point in the Pelicans' season so far. Um, you know, I I thought, I mean, like they had the Pacers on the ropes. Um, I think Sabonis fouled out in that game, and he what did. was it? He did. Like, I mean, what was he on the floor for? I'd have to look at the box for about, like, 25 minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think Zion, you know, he got a, he got a couple tough ones, um, like, I'll be honest. But, like, I think you know, Zion really imposes will on him in that game. Um, and, you know, physicality, uh, I think the Pelicans won that for the most part. But the meltdown is, is really what cost them. So I'm I'm really curious to see how New Orleans responds. I mean, I I expect them to, like, have that game against Indiana in the back of their minds. Um, I mean, they they just blew that one,
1: and and they should they should remember you know that they did have the Pacers for the majority of that game. I mean, it was it was looking like a New Orleans win, and you know something like that. You just gotta have it in the back of your head to not have it. You know, not have history repeat itself. But coming into this game, when the, when the, when the Pelicans travel to Indiana, I mean. We're looking at a Pelicans team where, like I said, on paper, I mean, I really like what you guys got. I think that Zion is just when you use, you said physicality in the last game. I mean, that I feel like towards the end where he kind of went wrong was I felt like he tried to throw down a couple dunks towards the end on Miles Turner that just didn't work out. And I feel like in this time around, the rim protection, keeping Zion out of the paint is going to be huge because... Christian, it kind of blew my mind that there was a stat earlier, right around mid-January, that Zion hadn't even attempted a shot outside of the paint for a while. His first sixty-plus shots of the season were all, you know, in the paint area, and, and I was shocked by that because now we're seeing him shoot some threes. And hey, whether it's going one for one or one for two, stuff like that, it plays a big defense. It plays a big, def- uh, plays a big uh, you know, point in having the defense respect his three-point shot. So. When you're talking about three-point shooting, how did JJ Reddick fall this far off? Because I love me some JJ Redick. I really do. But the man shot 45% from three last year. And after last night, he finally just got back to 30%. Is this like a year 16 finally just got him? Or is it is there something else there?
2: So that's a I think that's a really interesting question. Um I I mean, I, I think he's just missed some shots, to be perfectly honest, but I think the bigger issue is probably the quality of shots that he's gotten. Um, the Pelicans have just struggled to to just generate a lot of clean looks this season. I mean, their their offense, uh, a lot of these games has just looked like the clogged toilet offense. And I think, you know, they've they've showed some signs of of figuring some things out. I mean, I think you know, allowing Zion to be more of an initiator has helped a little bit. I mean, they're getting the ball to him in more creative ways. Um, but like, I think, you know, I don't expect JJ to, to finish the season with the Pelicans. I mean, I think if he goes to, you know, a Boston or is like, he gets bought out and goes to Brooklyn. I mean, I think that three point percentage looks a lot better. Um, I, I think I would lean more towards the side of it's the quality of, of shots that he's getting.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree there because he is too good of a shooter to just all of a sudden fall off. I mean, you imagine that despite him shooting 30% uh, right now from three, he'll pick it up. And I have heard his name, you know, kind of rumored out there that he could be on the move at at some point. Who knows what will happen? But while we're still on the three-point shooting aspect, to me, maybe that's just outsiders of, of, you know, the Pelicans – Why does it feel like either Lonzo Ball is on from three and he's really getting it going, or he's just cold? Because last night was a game where, I don't know, I just felt like from the beginning when I was watching, he was stroking it from three, ends up finishing four of seven. I believe he ended up with 18 points. That's the good Lonzo right there. The vision, you can't teach that stuff. He has that. So does his brother. But it feels like he's too on and off. I'm looking at that Brogdon versus Lonzo Ball matchup tomorrow to really be a key matchup. And if we're not getting the good Lonzo, I'm going to kind of lean that Brogdon's probably going to win that matchup.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think for two seasons in a row, Lonzo has kind of been the Pelicans biggest swing player. I mean, mm-hmm. I think when he's played well, uh, the Pelicans have played well. And I think when he's played poorly, um, the Pelicans have played poorly. And if you just, you know, look at the record in the last two years, it's been highly disappointing. I mean, I think that really is a, a significant reason why, they've kind of been underwhelming these, these past two seasons. Um, You know, I think the difference for Lonzo, I I mean, obviously the three point shot it it going down plays a big role, but I think just the aggression level and the willingness to drive the basketball and get downhill. And like, even when there's not a fast break opportunity, still pushing the pace and getting the Pelicans into early offense in the half court. Those are all things I think that are really, really important for him um like he just looked like he was playing with a pep in step like a jolt in that mm-hmm. game last night to me I mean there was a play I think in the third quarter where he drove the length of the floor and got his body into DeAndre Ayton and was able to, f- to finish a layup on the fast break like that that's what I want to see more from him is like we we just need you to be a threat to go to the rim um and get downhill like you have to make defenses respect you in that way I think that's been a big part of the issue for him early in the season. It's kind of a bummer, too, because I think he's a really good defender. I mean, I think he did an excellent job on, on Devin Booker in that game. I mean, I think he, for the most part, brings in that and night in and night out. Is just so many nights he's just not a threat to score the ball that yep. it, it kind of just kills the offense. Completely agree. Consistency is his issue because the,
1: whether you, you love the ball family or you hate the ball family, you could respect that Lonzo Ball has many – intangibles that are very very impressive it's just about putting it all together because it just feels like he's one of those players that night in night out you really just do not know what you're getting but as you're looking at the Pacers side of things you know this time around there's not going to be Victor Oladipo last time when the Pacers and Pelicans faced off Oladipo was huge in that game he had uh 20 points or 20 plus points in that game you know had a huge steal at the end of the game that we talked about where he swung it to, to Miles Turner uh who forced it to overtime and i believe that was actually the last game that Oladipo played for the Pacers so it shows that you know a lot's happened since then but who else has impressed you on this Pacers squad this time around because look I've only been on national television once that was last night and it was an embarrassment so i don't want to forget that even happened but from just looking at you know whether it's highlights box scores Anything that you've seen? Who's impressed you this year from the Indiana Pacers?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think Sabonis has has probably gone up another level, right? Um, You know, like I saw a lot of Jokic light stuff from him early in the season. Um, I mean, like that guy is just extremely talented, and I think it's kind of proven that he can be a a fulcrum of an offense. you know, the, the three ball is even starting to fall a little more consistently. I mean, I, I just think he's a really impressive player. Oh, no, he, he very much is. And Jokic
1: light is definitely a very common comparison to him because look, Jokic, he's an MVP candidate. Sabonis, not quite there yet, but definitely on that all-star level. I, I do expect him to be an all-star again this year. That'd be two straight years and he's just continued to get better year in, year out across the board. And, you know he's just been someone that man I still I do not know where this franchise would be if Paul George had walked in free agency and we didn't get Oladipo and Sabonis in that deal Uh, it would have just been absolutely detrimental so love what Sabonis has brought to the table this year Brogdon I feel like is one of the more uh better kept secrets this year he is having an all-star caliber year I really feel like he's unfortunately not going to get the love that he deserves when you're talking about a small market team and just how many good guards there is in the East. So I, I do think that those two are the guys that need their praise, but Miles Turner is someone that if the Pacers are going to beat the Pelicans in this game, Miles needs to be a big time factor. And he he's having a, a really good year for, you know, his standards and everything. He's defensively one of the elite rim you know, protectors, if not the best rim protector in the league. Obviously, you're going to, you know, shine upon the Rudy Gobert's, the Anthony Davises of the league. But uh, Miles Turner is going to have to be key in this matchup against the Pelicans. You know, whether it's helping out, defending the rim against Zion, whether it's trying to keep Steven Adams off the glass, because I feel like that's kind of the matchup I'm worried about. Steven Adams, a great rebounder. So uh, I feel like that's going to be pretty pivotal. But when you're looking at the rest of this Pelicans team, who do the Pacers have to really zone in on and take them off their game in order to win this game outside of Zion?
2: Um. Oh man, that's that's an interesting question. Um, you know, Brandon Ingram, I think, like for him, the numbers um, look good offensively. I don't think he's been quite as good as the numbers suggested. Um, I think there might be you know a little bit of empty calories there. Um, you know, like, I think if you take Ingram out of his game and, like, just, just slow him down, that the Pelicans are a much worse team. Like, when the Pelicans are rolling, Ingram is making quick decisions. And I think, you know, if you, if you figure out ways to, like, take him out of that, then that really knocks the Pelicans off their game. Um, so I, I would probably look there.
1: Okay. And that's definitely someone who, you know, look, I, I liked Brandon Ingram coming out of Duke. I felt like he had a lot of, like, his body-wise reminded me of Kevin Durant, you know, the tall, lanky guy that can really shoot, and in L.A., it just didn't work out. I mean, I just feel like there's so many good young players that have left the Lakers and gotten much better, and Brandon Ingram's definitely one of those. He showed that last year was no fluke winning most improved player of the year. His numbers are near identical to last year, and defensively-wise, I know you mentioned that, that uh, you know, the, the Pelicans have their issues defensively, but I feel like... He's cut down his fouls. He's improved his blocks. Uh, turnovers aside, he's, he's cut down his turnovers. So there's a lot of little things that he's done better this year. Um, but when we're talking about guys like Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams, do you see them fitting in the Pelicans' plans past this season? Because it looks like they could kind of be sellers at the deadline if things don't go right, of course.
2: Yeah, I think that uh, Eric Bledsoe is a guy – I mean, they're definitely going to explore what they could get for him. Um, I think Steven Adams is a guy that – that they like and want to be a part of this team for the next couple of years. I mean, as soon as they traded for him, they signed him to a two-year extension. Um, You know, a lot was made of like, oh, they're putting uh, another non-floor spacer next to Zion Williamson. Um, You know, like, I think there's a a ceiling on that when you get to the playoffs, but like at least in the regular season, I mean, the Adam-Zion pairing I think has worked. Um, You know, I think like Zion has kind of proven that he just kind of, transcends like um, offensive environment. Like he's just gonna, you know, get his 25 points. He's gonna be able to do it efficiently no matter who's around him, even if, you know he doesn't have as much space as you'd really like. Um, So I think Steven Adams is a guy that they like value as, um, you know, a piece of this team going forward. But yeah, I mean, I could, I mean, I could see like the entire backcourt changing um, as we get closer to the, the trade deadline.
1: Yeah, and Lonzo Ball is one of those guys where I have heard his name involved in rumors, and obviously we touched on how J.J. Reddick's name has been floated out there. So we'll wait and see. But, hey, for, for now, the Pacers have to prepare for exactly who's on that roster. I highly doubt there's going to be a trade made before this episode. You know, leaks, so you never know. But in terms of the strengths of these teams, I was digging up some numbers. The Pelicans are fourth in free throw attempts and the fourth fewest fouls per game, Two. Stats that are very, very, you know, vital for a team throughout the season. Do you think the free throw battle is going to be a pivotal battle over here? Because the Pacers struggle to get to the line. And if the Pelicans don't really foul too much, I feel like that's kind of an advantage right over there that the Pelicans could have. Meanwhile, the Pacers, on the other hand, they're fifth in the league in field goal percentage. So they do it really without getting to the line. So do you think the free throw battle and rebounding right now, which you would think would go in the Pelicans' favor, could be the difference maker in this game?
2: Yeah, I I think you bring up a really interesting point there. I mean, like Steven Adams has just been on a tear on the glass lately. Yep. I mean, he had an eighteen rebound game against Washington, he had a twenty rebound game against Milwaukee. I mean, he's had nights where he's had double digit offensive rebounds. I mean, the combination of of Zion and Steven Adams, I mean, the Pelicans are extremely difficult team to to keep off of the offensive glass. So I, I definitely think that's an important battleground. Um You know, one of the things that Sam Goody has really stressed is defending without fouling. And and can you contest and and stay solid without sending them to the line? I mean, that's something that's really, really important to him. Um, And they did a good job of that against Phoenix. I mean, really, the the three things that that Sam kind of stresses are uh, take care of the ball, uh, you know, limit turnovers, uh, dig in defensively, and then win the glass. Like, the Pelicans have just done that so rarely this season and they did that against Phoenix uh you know Stan after the game called it a blueprint win and I I agree like that's that's the way forward for this team you know I mean I know you know the other teams aren't going to shoot like five for 30 from three every night but like if, if New Orleans can just do those things then they're going to have a pretty high floor
1: I like Stan Mangoni I feel like he had a uh a rough situation in Miami when Pat Riley kind of, you know, took over and all of a sudden, you know, they, they won the the NBA finals. I do think that Stan probably could have got the job done. And then also in Orlando, I feel like Dwight Howard caused, you know, just quite the ruckus on his way out, which eventually led to Stan, you know, being on his way out. Uh, Do you think that Stan Van the guy for this Pelicans team as they're trying to get to the next level? Because he obviously has a ton of experience, but I felt like there was a lot of, uh, negative kind of a criticism when Van Gundy got hired as not sure if he's the most, maybe modern day coach for this type of team. Do do you agree with
2: that? Or is it just, Hey, Stan's good coach. He'll write, he'll write the shit. So I I gotta be honest. I was a, I was a huge fan of of this hire when they made it probably more so than anybody else in local media. Um, They've gotten off to, I mean, obviously a, a really rough disappointing start, but I, I I still stick by um, you know what I said. I mean, I I think Stan Van Gundy's a good coach man, and I think it has a chance to work because Zion Williamson is a guy who is willing to take coaching. Like mm-hmm. you you can coach him hard, and he's just not going to throw his hands up in the air and say like, "Well, what does this guy know?" I'm I'm Zion Williamson, and I think that's a reason why this could work. Um, you know, I think Stan it would help. Um, you know to, to maybe get a little more creative on the offensive end. I think they're starting to do some of those things. Um, and then on the defensive end, his challenge is, is figuring out how to get Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram to defend. Cause I think really, as we talked about, that's, that's kind of been the biggest issue. I mean, those guys are the weak links in the chain up to this point. Um, you know, Phoenix was an encouraging sign, but yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not out on stand. I mean, I know this has been an awful start, but, I'm not out and I'm curious to see what this next iteration of the Pelicans looks like. Like they're, I mean, for where they are right now, like they're just a team trying to get to the playoffs consistently, you know, like yeah. they're not, they're not trying to win championships right now. And like, I think Santa is definitely a guy who can teach them good habits and help you at the very least turn you into like a perennial playoff team with, with the core they have in place.
1: 100%. And they still have plenty of opportunities to either, you know, pick it up and be able to get maybe may in contention for that play in game, or make a couple moves at the deadline where you can build something for, for next year moving forward. Either way, you have a very special piece in Zion Williamson. I mean, truly someone that, I mean, he's just, he has the it factor about it I mean we've talked about it before where it doesn't look pretty or whatever but whatever it is he's just physically imposing down low and he's able to make that work to the point where guys averaging near 24 points per game on 60% shooting I mean it feels effortless but he's just so physical and I do like the pairing next to Stephen Adams in today's NBA, sure, you're going to have limitations if one of those guys isn't stretching the floor, hitting threes. But for now, give it some time to figure out. Steven Adams is a guy that a lot of teams could use, and Zion is still going to get so much better. So I wouldn't overreact either and, and do anything even remotely along the lines of firing Stan Van Gundy before. He's had plenty of time to coach this team. But if the Pelicans are not going to win this game, what will the Pacers have done
2: right? Oof. Um, I think take the Pelicans out of the pace they want to play offensively. And I don't even mean like limiting the Pelicans fast break opportunities. I just think like, you know, this Pelicans offense, it just looks so much better when they're they're throwing the ball inside and then getting it back outside. There's so much better when guys are willing to, to drive the basketball. So I think limiting like that side to side movement and like not allowing the Pelicans to, to get into that flow, which I think they did against Phoenix. Yeah. The Pacers have uh, also
1: struggled to defend the three point line um, this year. So this could be a game where you guys maybe get hot from three point line and, and, and turn it around. I hope that's not the case, but shooters like JJ Redick. I mean, they're, it's only a matter of time. You can only hold them down for so long. So I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden he's due has a really good game. Uh, I hope that's not going to be the case with Lonzo, but you really never know. So, as we're wrapping up, uh, can I get a prediction on this game from you, score wise?
2: Oof, I think the uh, the Pelicans will will continue their—I uh, don't even want to call it a recent stretch of good play because they played one good game. Yeah, but, I, uh, I, 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 <laughs> I, th- I mean, I think that has a chance to be like a, a turning point for them. I mean that that just that just felt huge. Um, so I'll say the Pelicans went a close one, uh, 115 to 110.
1: I'm not even kidding you. I have that score written down, but I have it the <laughs> opposite way. I have Pacers winning 115, 110, only because the Pacers just got their behinds handed to them by Milwaukee on nationally television, on national television, trailing by as many as 40 points in that game. So if you don't respond, then we might have a problem. The Pacers have responded well in terms of some meltdown losses and and things along those lines. But I do think it's going to be a close game. So uh, I'm right with you in in a five-point, you know, I don't know what the actual spread is, but you and I seem to feel like, you know, it could be like a five-point game. So it's going to be very interesting. And as we're wrapping up, Christian, tell everybody where they could find you on social media and uh, maybe about some
2: of the articles that you have coming out. Yeah, so uh, you can read all my work on Noel.com, And after every game, um, I do a takeaways post called Three Points. Um, and I really have a lot of fun putting that post together. So check it out. Yeah, yeah thank you very much, Christian. I appreciate the time. And, uh, hey, good luck in tomorrow's matchup. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, man. You got it. All right, everybody,
1: we are back. I want to give a special shout-out to our guest today, Josh Eberly. He can be found on Twitter, at Josh Uh You can find Christian Clark on Twitter, at C Clark 3000 And, guys, man, I really hope these Pacers can bounce back against the Pelicans, a team that, you know, despite their record not being that good, you don't want to overlook them because they still got guys like Zion Williamson that, you know, are freakishly putting up over 23 points per game without even leaving the paint. So, hoping that the Pacers can deliver this win for us, get back on track. It's been a little bit of an up-and-down roller coaster right now, but we're trying to weather the storm until we can get back TJ Warren Karis LeVert. Do not know when that's going to be. So, yeah, the fan base is going to be, you know, not satisfied with anything because we don't want to see this Pacers team hovering around 500. We're better than that, but you gotta get healthy first. Until we can do that, I mean, you just gotta take it one game at a time. So, guys, I wanna thank you for listening today. You can find this show on Twitter at Setting the Pace3. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find my co-host Alex Golden on Twitter at AlexGoldenMDA. We are out of time, but if I can leave you with just one thought, it's three words. Let's go pacers.